We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. It is Tuesday, November 30th uh, in the afternoon. I'm joined by Britt Robson of MinPost. And Britt, I was thinking about before we started this call how, you know, it wasn't three weeks ago where I think, well, you wrote a column titled something about Wolves Dread. We did a podcast together. We called it something about Wolves Dread and how this was just feeling like the wolves of old and you know here we are literally at, over the past two weeks with the wolves seven and one over this stretch I think they're like third in offense over that time eighth and or third in defense eighth in offense I mean they've just objectively been great here for seven of eight games it's zero dread right now right, this is right. as good as this team has looked it really man I mean it feels to me like once that 2017-18 team with Jimmy Butler kind of started to catch a rhythm at the beginning of last year, I mean, this is this is as good as the Wolves have played, I mean, really in almost 20 years or as close to as good as they've played. I mean, I, are you just having fun with this? Oh, naturally. But also, I think that even though we didn't know the full extent of the Jimmy Butler uh, cat Wiggins disease, we knew that Tibbs basically wanted to throw shade on the two guys he was supposed to develop and cherished, you know, other guys. Uh, initially had Ricky Rubio on his team, then, you know, moved heaven and earth to get Jeff Teague, but still lusted after Derrick Rose. I mean, there was always something like nobody was really settled and content right. to just let this thing roll and see what happens. And that's what's happening now. I mean, Sasha and Gupta, there's always going to be Ben Simmons things in the air. There's always going to be the chatter. But the bottom line is right now, I don't know why you would mess with the particular chemistry, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, cohesion, people beginning to ratify reputations that had been tattered. Um, I'm not even thinking about it, man. It's like I, I see people like, randomly you know on twitter replying to something about oh the wolves are good and they're like well what would it take to get miles turner what would it take ben simmons or like who is that i mean the way i'm kind of thinking about it is one i think it's premature to start thinking about really any 
tweaks just given where we are in the league calendar. But yeah, like the only way that mixing the roster up at all has crossed my mind is like, yeah, you know, maybe like at some point down the line, they add a big body. Right. Like getting that bruising power yeah. forward. Right. Yeah. And and maybe not even that, because I don't know how how into that Chris Finch would be. So and, it's, and it's to this be group. honest with you, why what this team does is it scraps and a yeah. bruising power forward, you'd have to find a scrappy bruising power forward, like vintage Paul Millsap, somebody that yeah. can get out and go, but also or vintage Al Horford. The guys we're talking about that are prototypically those guys, maybe Aaron Gordon fits that now. Uh, Aaron Gordon is a much better fit on this team than he would have been on last team, for example, last year's team. Uh, if you got like a, I was saying. If you got a scrappy power <laughs> forward, then, uh, you know, when Vando goes down, on the other hand, no Vando, kind of no McDaniels, no Pat. <laughs> no <Bell>. problem. <laughs> they go against a, a team that you know they didn't have Miles Turner last night, but Sabonis did get twenty-five rebounds, um, and they still won the game. They did not play well. Finch admitted it. Uh, everybody could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, depending on how you want to judge it, their ninth or eleventh man, Okogi, came up huge as the only guy who could really stop Brogdon. Uh, Russell continues to be a revelation in terms of uh, his timing on when to do certain things has been phenomenal. Um, Cat, for all the grief he deservedly takes for being uh, just addicted to drama, any way he can, you know, court it, um, had a monster you know, first quarter and pretty good game, all things considered. Um, you know, this is a team that the last three games they have won, I would have bet heavily both before the game and during the game that they would not win. Right. Um, and so that's... Because that's what the old Wolves would have done. And, and also because um, on paper, you know, what have you got here? You know, I mean... Also say that since the Miami game, Anthony Edwards has kind of been missing in action, you know? Right. I mean, Finch tries to put a happy face on it by saying this was a classic Anthony Edwards game. No, it wasn't. You know, he disappeared for most of the game. Um, Well, that's kind of a classic Anthony Edwards thing, though, is spurts. You know, and and that's not even – it's not a good thing nor necessarily a bad thing. But it's – yeah, it is is these little spurts where – they are important. You know, they are they are helpful. And I don't know, what was his final line last night? He's like seven and nineteen from the field. And I, I don't know if it was one of those games where you would you would just look at the numbers and say that was a positive performance. I think he was actually had a negative plus minus in the game. Right. But there's something about the nature of those spurts like kind of being inspirational. Mm-hmm. I think that that does kind of make up for that. And I don't mean this to totally bag on cap, but it's it kind of feels like the other way with him where you look at has his stat line, he has 32 points despite foul, being in foul trouble, falling out of the game. And it's not that those points didn't carry them and they didn't need it, but I guess it just isn't as inspirational. Well, and, I, I, yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with what you're expecting to come mm. when cats hot, you're expecting, all right, when are the charges going to add up? When is he going to start losing his shit on the officials 
and be distracted. When is he going to, you know, he's the only guy I know that makes heat checks on passing. You know, I mean, if he has a couple of good dimes, he'll try to thread an impossible needle or, you know, just bring that sidearm sling out of his, uh, you know, inexhaustible bag of tricks and, uh, you know, throw it into the audience. So uh, on the other hand, Ant, he swishes a three or gets a layup in transition, in transition, flushes a layup. You go, all right, here it comes. You know, I mean, it's uh, and and to be fair, some of that has to do with um, that Ann hasn't had enough opportunities to disappoint us. That's the way we used to think about Cat his first two years. You know, right? Cat it's probably just an age thing and a quality thing. I mean, Cat's still the best player on the team. It's not close. Right. I mean, he's right. still the most positively impactful player. The dude is unguardable by fives right now. Like right. there is even Bam. Like Bam's probably the best thing because it's like. He's a five, but not really. Right. But but for the most part, even Joel Embiid, you know, and for sure the Valanchunas and the Steven Adams and that, it's like they can't they can't stick with him. Like there's there's been some negative externalities to Cat losing weight and and all that this season, but the just clearly positive is that he can cook guys on the perimeter. That pump and go is so much faster than it was a year ago. The shots the same quality. It's you know. I, it's just tough with Cat, right? Like, right. It, there, there's this intrigue and this tease, and then it is so like deflating to to watch him get six fouls last night. To my eye, probably five of which were actually fouls, right? And to see him, you know, he comes back to the bench and he comes right in front of where you and I sit, and every time it is just utter disbelief. And he'll he'll talk to whichever one of his teammates will listen to him about, you know how the whistle is just uneven this game. And it's like, I know he doesn't get a superstar whistle and, and and maybe he deserves a little bit more, but this isn't some egregious, like, I, I don't know, disproportion of, of the way he's treated. And, and the only, as we're, we're talking about this in a positive light, it's like, well, my head goes with that. It's like, man, there's just a few small adjustments away from this, like really working. And, and that feels like, and that feels like one of them, just a cat coming to a little bit better of grips with what is actually happening versus what is happening in his head, because, man, the talent is there this year. And I do think that he has done that on defense. I yeah. do. I do think that cat has learned. Um, remember how many bad defensive fouls he would pick up by making like the wrong decision and just basically crushing a smaller player into the ground on a layup that was probably not going to go in or you mean you mean drop coverage didn't work <laughs> but i mean just in general even like when he's been out on the perimeter and doing stuff in the past there were definitely occasions where um he would do that now as you really i thought smartly pointed out uh, last night in a tweet and i know you've mentioned it before but the timing on it was perfect last night where you said the odds of him picking up a defensive foul when he mm -hmm. doesn't get a foul when he is the offensive player and he believes he's been fouled is extremely high. And when I mentioned it in the media room, everybody in the room went, yeah, you know I mean? It's like, right. it's so obvious. And um, well, Britt, they're the, they're the plays where like those subsequent fouls that he makes on the other end are the plays where he 
where he he commits what I think is a pretty obvious foul, and it and in in his mind, it's like it's not. It's he thinks he's going straight up, but he's really coming in and hitting him with the body. It it when he doesn't get the foul when he's on offense, it turns off the logic in his brain of what a foul is on the other end, and I I think that's what it is. You know what I think it is too is I think that he thinks that he's in a courtroom, and the public opinion is the jury, and he's saying, "All right." That guy put forth his brief on how he could follow me, and he got, he was successful with it. Now I'm going to come back and do something a little bit different but better, and I'm going to show how that was a little bit of a foul, but I'll do it even less than I was fouled. Right. And if I still get the call, then everybody knows that life is unfair and I'm being screwed here. I mean, I really it's, do feel like it. it, it, it it's like he's got – uh, I will show these refs how unfair they are being. And when you start to have that mindset, you're screwed. You're screwed because, first of all, the refs have better judgment about how a game that you're involved in being played, what is really a foul and what isn't. Trust me, they know. Even the greatest players think they don't foul when they do foul, and that's why there are refs. You know, that's why on the playground, when you're resorting to a guy going, yeah, yeah, my foul and handing over the ball um, frequently ends in fist fights anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you just you need independent arbiters to call the game. And when you have four fouls or even five fouls and you just go balls to the wall on a drive and you basically fall down on top of some guy. It really doesn't matter how much he bashed you on the way into you bashing him. Right. Well, it, it's also like, and and again, I, I don't, I think it would be unfair to come into this podcast podcast with any sort of like negative tone of what mm. the Wolves have been recently. Right. And I don't think, again, I, I don't think, or that's not my point. I, I do think about these last two wins, the, the Philadelphia game, and and then last night where he did he fall out. out and they won and and if they lose which i mean both of those was the philadelphia game where they win by one two like and then they won last night against indiana by two and you know that's josh Kogi doesn't make that play something something you know joel and b doesn't have that turnover and, and if indiana have, doesn't lose its shit with the officials and get four technical fouls it costs them three points I mean, and I guess that that's what I'm talking about is like it, it's so they're so close to having lost that. And and if they did, I think this would be the conversation of, you know, Cat has reverted back to what we saw in that first beginning of the season, the Pelicans, right. where he was just so hot. And then he decided to not talk to the refs at all for two weeks. And it now was it's great. back. It was glorious. <laughs> it was. It was. But I think the, the important thing that we're seeing is even when Cat's getting a little hot in his head or having disconnect in his head is he has things to pick him up this year. And and that's those spurts of Anthony Edwards we're talking about. It is in the incredible development of consistency and stability that D'Angelo Russell provides. I think it's also, he's got some shooters around him. Not that they're hitting him at a great rate, but he's typically surrounded what, by three of the four players can shoot. Right. Or you feel like, all right, that's a good skip pass. Um, and that's that's certainly a new development. And then as you brought up in the post game to D'Angelo last night was like 
the number one thing this team has in their bag when things aren't clicking is the ability to leverage their defense into offense. And that is that's bigger than that's bigger than having Ant or D'Lo or shooters. It, it's right. this it's this whole un it's new. It's just it's, it's just the so theme it's new of to the us. season. It is the yeah. theme of the season. If you had to pick a sentence to describe why the Wolves are different this year and why there is a foundation of sustainable hope being compiled, uh, you know, foot is poured. Uh, right now, it is because consistently they have found a way to scrap and disrupt a team and get points in transition. They had two points off of transition by halftime last night and were down nine or whatever it was, 11. I can't right. remember what it was. They had nine points in the third quarter and just totally reversed it. And it was a boom. It was one of those things. It's the equivalent of, you know, not Steph Curry, but it's the equivalent of a good three-point shooter getting hot and suddenly yep. just burying three buckets because mm -hmm. you get like nine points that way. Uh, and the other team is going, wait a minute, you know, we were up seven and now we're down two. How did that happen? You know, and it happens because, uh, Last night, Okogi was the only one of the gritty four that played. You know, if you include McDaniels, Vando, and Pat Bev in that, which I do, those are the four guys that I think set the tone for this team. Um, but you also had, you know, Torian Prince, you know, God bless him, can't run very fast or move very quickly, but is scrapping. Uh, D'Lo is learning how to scrap more and more and is kind of feasting on not having to guard somebody really good. He's a better, I think he's a better off ball defender than he is an on ball defender by quite a ways, you know, and he's also boxing out. He's doing the kinds of things that he can do that I think really benefit this defense. Um, you know, as he's never shy about pointing out to us, he's a student of the game and he is learning how to, emphasize subtle strengths that he possesses that will help the defense. So I think, I think he's playing defense kind of fearless and fearless and in I, terms it, of not being embarrassed. Yeah. Or just yeah. like, or, or maybe just confident that like his read is right. In the, and, it, and it's not always right. I mean, there's still some of the Olays and this and that, right. but it really stood out to me in the Philly game where, where he was guarding Seth Curry mm -hmm. uh, and, and he didn't like deviate from his kind of free safety role of that he kind of plays in this Wolves right. defense, where he's you know he's kind of on the back line, off ball guard defender guy, and and what you see a lot of other guys do when they're guarding Seth Curry, and you know probably rightfully so is get up on him. You know you're you're just not that you're just pretty intentional of of not giving, not sagging that far off when even when he's off ball in the corner, and Dilo was kind of fearless in that of like I'm trusting my instinct of where this play is going and and if Seth's in the the far left corner and they're running an action to the right side like I'm going to trust my read of them going to the right and and my ability to read and adjust and get back to him if they if they switch it back left and I think I think it's kind of those small things like that it, it's last night he kept calling out Indiana's plays he knew what he knew what they were running and and when you're looking for reasons to explain why D'Angelo Russell 
has a defensive individual defensive rating under 100. I think it's that it, it's it's just understanding what he, what he can can and can't get away with better, and 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 through the scrap and and all those things, it's it's just it's adding up to being successful defensively. And I think that's extremely well said. Some of that I'm actually I'm writing about Digo for tomorrow, and some of that is definitely involved in what I'm writing about. I also think when it gets to communication, what everybody will tell you about NBA communication is it's not so much. Uh, whether or not your read is right or wrong, it's that you say what you're going to do and then you do it and everyone else does it too. So that even if D'Lo is guessing wrong on Curry, at least his decision is let's trap this play away from Curry so they can't automatically see Curry and get the ball to him. And right. if they do get the ball to him, it's not going to go over there fast enough that D'Lo can at least – provide a semblance of a closeout on Curry. I think right. that that kind of communication is the difference in this Wolves team is that um, they have a system. They know that it is an aggressive system that fits the aggressive tendencies of guys like Ant and Vando and actually now Prince in some ways, because he has to be aggressive. Uh, but I do think that you have a situation where um they're on the same page to the extent that that trust level is there. I mean, right. they're win they're, th th there's not a lot of winners on this roster. There's not a lot of champions. There's not a lot of playoff tested guys. There are a lot of guys who are acknowledged to be talented that don't have any notches on their belt. And the fact that everybody is in sync right now, I'm sure just pleases the hell out of, all of them, uh, right. you know, and, and, and that's how you win games. That's how you win close games is that, you, you know, other teams are still thinking you're the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and, uh, not. You know, <laughs> and, you know, as Dilo said, you know, you thought it was sweet to come back after an injury against this team. Well, it's not so sweet, is it? You know, right. you know, it's kind of sub sub vocalizing and beat on that. And so it, it is, you know, as somebody who's covered this team since 1990, um, this is my favorite non-KG team thus far. Um, wow. You know, because... Well, not a high bar, but... <laughs> no, not a high bar. But, I mean, there was, you know, the first year of Rubio was a lot of fun under Adelman. You know what? We're going to we're gonna keep it going here, and and we're going to mix in a quick ad break, and we'll, and we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20 by 20 solutions.com. That's T E A M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 
20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost. We ran into a little bit of uh, technical difficulty there before the break, but I think we're back up and running. Uh, Britt, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about is just is looking at the Wolves now 21 games into the season and and kind of comparing it to the end of last season. It was the the intriguing part of the of the Chris Finch era last season was the last 22 games of the year where they went 11 and 11. Uh, but it it does feel very different this season because in those 22 games at the end of last year, the Wolves ranked 12th on offense and 25th on defense. This year, 21 games in, they're 19th on offense and 5th on defense. And and to me, it's it's hard to even really draw connections because it just feels like such a different such a different team this year. Are, are you feeling the same way? Yeah, I think that um, we, as we, you know, said quite a bit in the beginning of this. I think the defense is running the offense. The fact that the de- offense is nineteenth and is benefiting from a phenomenal amount of points off turnovers and a phenomenal amount of extended possessions through offensive rebounds indicates that the offense as a functioning half-court unit is still very flawed. That isn't what we expected due to what we saw in the eye test of the last 22 games of last season. Meanwhile, we nobody expected this defense, and I can't help but it's a cliche by now. Even casual fans have seen this, but Pat Beverly changed the culture here. Um I don't know if you um, were around for the Ant post game. I think it might have been at the end of Miami, so you maybe weren't around. But he he basically said that you know Pat Bev uh, asked every player in front of the coaches to define their role uh, for the team, hmm. and uh, you know that's that's really putting a fine point on it. Like, what am I, what am I expected to do is that translates into what am I going to do or what is my responsibility to do? Sure. And, and uh, I think if I had to put uh, another adjective behind scrap in terms of defense, it would be responsible. I think, you know, Guys want to, if they make a mistake, they don't give up on the play. They want to atone. And some of that is scrap, but some of that is also hope. I can't let, I can't let go of the chain here. I've got to get the chain back. And that was, I mean, D'Lo is the poster boy for that. D'Lo, you know, flung the chain. Forget about letting it go. I mean, D'Lo had not much interest in defense. I know he doesn't like to hear this. He thinks that He's been a pretty consistent guy on defense all along. Uh, his defense this year is night and day from what it was last year. Um, and then you add a Pat Bev, you get uh, a Vando, you know, in full mode of settling into his role. You get Okogi figuring out his role. Cat uh, even, you know, has, has learned a little bit more of the finer points of being out on the perimeter. Um it's a different team, as D'Lo, you know, said the other night when I asked him about this. Um, and I think it's a much better scenario uh, because you can always fall back on Ant, Cat, and D'Lo being marvelously skilled players 
and they're not going to bail you out all the time. But the fact that you have three guys that can bail you out uh, means that your offense doesn't need to be as efficient as your defense is. If the defense uh, doesn't work in sync, then you're back to square one of what you had last year. So I think it's a lot more sustainable formula provided they retain that Pat Bev culture that has been instituted. And I think they will retain that if for no other reason that it has been successful. They are now a confident group because they've beaten Miami. They've beaten Philadelphia. They beat Indiana with uh, most of their energy guys out. Um, they not only that, but they, they just laid an egg against Charlotte, a classic, you know, bad Wolves performance. And their coach called them out and they immediately atoned. Um, I think that this team is in a position. I mean, they got Washington. Brooklyn is going to be a huge, you know, probably a, a very tough game to win. But they are ready now. They, they think that they have a shot in every game they play. And they are scrappy enough to, at the very least, have, have a role, have a say in how, how the game is played um, because of that connectivity on defense that absolutely wasn't there last year. I, I think what's, what's kind of interesting to me, specifically to Kat and D'Lo and kind of to Ant, is, is that Kat and D'Lo got paid when they got paid on based on their offense, right? Mm -hmm. They both, right. and they both got max contracts. So there's like, right. there's this kind of, you know, from an individual standpoint of, I got the maximum amount of money that I could get the reward without being a good defender. And, right. and I think what is unique about cat is, well, not, I mean, about, I guess all players with aspirations is, you know, he, he wants to win too. And, and so he has kind of been classically conditioned over this time to learn that like, yeah, you're going to get paid on your offense, but you're not going to get your respect without the defense. So he's been, he's understood that I think for a few years now. And, and it's been a positive development to see, I think to see D'Angelo Russell kind of come to a similar grips with the, with the reality of it is, is that for, I mean, for D'Lo to get his next big contract, he needs he needs to be able to to win and he needs to be able to be regarded as not a poor defender. And and those two things kind of are synergizing well. And I think a real positive additionally is with the, when you add the third piece and Anthony Edwards is he's now kind of being groomed in an environment where he is being told that there is value in defense. And that that might not have really been the case with Cat and Dealer. They kind of had to learn that through, you know, trial by fire of they lost a lot because their teams are bad at defense and they played a role in it. And Anthony Edwards a year ago certainly looked like he was on that similar sort of trajectory. And and I think I think that could have like a a seriously positive impact on the arc of Anthony Edwards. This is gonna be a weird parallel, but I'm gonna compare it to Lou Dort, where I think Lou Dort came into the league uh, that first year. It was the Chris Paul season. And, and he's just given this kind of like role player role where he, you know, it was a good playoff team and, and he just kind of had to do his thing. And then the subsequent years, the Thunder sucked and he got this chance to just kind of 
expand expand his game. And we're kind of seeing something like that a little bit inverted. And it's just encouraging to me that I feel like Anthony Edwards right now is is doing that Dort rookie year thing. Obviously a way better player than Dort is, but there's just a real power in being 20 years old and being groomed and growing in a positive environment. And we haven't seen that. I mean, that hasn't defined anything with the young, real talent the Wolves have had for decades now. I mean, even Rubio, even Kevin Love, even all those guys, for sure Wiggins, for sure Cat. Like, I'm encouraged that I think big picture, there's some real power in Anthony Edwards learning that defense is part of what gets you paid in this league. And yeah, that's just big for the future. Right. And I think that the important point to just hammer home is the inversion of Dort for people who don't yeah. know Dort. Right. I mean, he was, he was the guy who he would come into the game and categorize himself by laying out for the slightest loose ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Lou Dort, led the league in floor burns probably per minute uh, his rookie season. And he still hangs his hat on defense. But as anybody you saw, like, I, I think he got 31 in that game seven or whatever uh, right. that the OKC lost that first year. I mean, he began to realize that he, there was room for him to become a more complete player. Uh, and while having the baseline of understanding what winning basketball is. So I, I don't know if it's inverted, it's out of order. But there's there's like there's something similar to that about where I, I like what Lou Dort has become three years into the league. I think because right. of the different environments that he's been in, that gives me confidence for what he's going, how he's going to continue to grow for the next five years. Because with Anthony Edwards, like again, twelve months ago, not six months ago, there was the Wiggins comparisons of like you're being right, right. groomed in this, get your twenty a night defense, eh, like. And that's that's not that's not the case with this team. That's not right. the case with this environment, because Cat and Delo have been like, no, I've seen this shit. Pat Beverly's like, no, that's not acceptable, right? Like, and and what's and, funny is the person who knows that better than anybody right now is Andrew Wiggins, who is like <laughs> one of true, the two yeah. or three best defensive players on an eighteen and two team. Mm-hmm. It's it is uh, yeah. I just it, it's a it's an interesting thing to kind of wrap your head around where you're like, oh. I like the environment of the Wolves right now, which, I mean, man, you know, firing your president of basketball operations six days before the season, all that. I mean, I, I just, so much of this season, I would have never guessed. I, I mean, I would have laughed at you in your face if you told me the Wolves were going to be a top five defense 21 games in the season. I, I just, as much as I was like, oh, you know, the scheme's changing. That's a good idea. Like The idea that they've been able to, cultivate this into uh, just a, a actually good defensive team is is so impressive and I think such a such a credit to to Chris Finch who I think is you know he's he's starting to get his due yeah and certainly Delo daps him every time he can uh those two are really fascinating um when I I, I was trying to explicitly as i said i'm doing the stilo piece and i was explicitly trying to draw the connection between finch and delo and how finch synergizes delo by saying you know you let people do what they want (laughs) he wasn't totally wanting to buy that right now because that's not what he's thinking about on offense anymore uh he's thinking about hey i need to put a little bit of i need to put some bumpers 
on these guys on offense and have them figure out certain things. Um, but D'Lo, above all, anybody, he trusts D'Lo on offense more than he trusts anybody on the team, I think, mm-hmm. right now. Right. And, and I don't think that's unjustified. I was going to uh, say, justifiably so. It's like, and, it's the- and in return, um, he's expecting in kind for D'Lo to dig in on defense, and D'Lo is buying into that. D'Lo is saying he's a player's coach. If we come up with ideas, he lets us do our ideas. He's got this defensive system. Um, if I don't put my oar in on this defensive system, he looks bad and the whole thing goes to hell. Uh, I mean, it really is a testimonial as to why a player's coach can change a player, not by getting him to do what he does well even better, but by getting him to do something that is a vice in his game and turning it into at least a net balance. And occasionally with D'Lo, D'Lo's becoming somebody who doesn't hurt you. I mean, he's, as you said, his defense is under a hundred per a hundred possessions points allowed. Um, After 21 games, let's say D'Lo's played like 18 of them, whatever. That's a decent enough sample size to say, this guy is not hurting you. And the eye test proves it too. Um, I think a lot of it is, you're right. It's, it's instinct. It's uh, study of the game. It's faith. It's the Pat Bev instilled culture. And it's also the idea of um, all these guys are starting to take ownership because who doesn't want a piece of success? Right. And the Wolves are a successful team right now. Um, that era of uh, eight losses in nine games or whatever it was um, is almost been reversed. Um, they are over 500 now and they have not done it. They started to do it against Patsies, against the Kings and the Spurs of the world. You know, the last three games that they played before the Pacers were against teams that were humming right. and uh, they won two of them. And so, It'll be interesting to see, you know, the Wizards and the Nets and then the Hawks. I mean, that's the East has, you know, at least more uh, depth to its uh, formidable teams than the West right. does this year. And so um, it's going to gonna be fascinating. Do you think that, like, Truth Serum in Chris Finch, he thought this was possible with the defense this year? Well, you remember, I asked him directly about that of the shoot-around. I said, did you think hmm. that you were going to be leading the NBA? I said leading the NBA in points off turnovers. They were third at the time. They were leading the NBA in most turnovers. Uh, and he went, no. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, he didn't. Uh, but also, I think he couldn't reasonably expect the level of buy-in he's gotten from Cat and D'Lo uh, and what I will say, I mean, you know, I'm, I have to stop because this is always something that always struck me at the time when the Pat Bev trade was made, Finch got more confident about this team's chances. I mean, he knew that Pat Bev could be, as he says, a tone setter. Uh, he's been much more than a tone setter. He's been somebody who, uh, has infiltrated kind of like that poisonous mentality that was here. The Jimmy Butler uh, 
bump without the Jimmy Butler toxicity. Uh, the idea that somebody is around to make you better, uh, but doesn't rub your nose in the face that he is the one that made you better. Uh, Pat Bev is not trying to take credit for these things because he comes from a place, um, you know, at his best, even when he's all NBA defense, Pat Bev was never in Jimmy Butler's stratosphere. You know, he's never going to get a max deal, you know, at the, you know, he's just, he's hoping to stay above 10 million, you know? And so, uh, He's a worker. He's a, he's a lunch bucket guy. And I think when Finch got Pat Bev, um, he thought this, this solves a couple of problems. First of all, we can move deal off the ball if we want to. We don't have to count on J-Mac being our number two point guard all season. And I've got somebody who is a veteran who is not Torian Prince or you know, Ed Davis even, or somebody who's a respected veteran, but doesn't either, hey, have the, have the just sheer balls of being able to tell people, hey, you know, you're screwing up or tell the refs or, you know, body up to some guy while he's trying to shoot a free throw. I mean, he's just a weird, uh, right. incredibly lively dude. And that affects culture. You know, you know what's interesting to me about the Pat Bev thing, and you know, obviously there's the connection to Rosas there, who who made that deal. Right. Which you know, credit to Rosas, obviously a very, right. a very strong move there. I wonder, you know, if if Rosas would have been fired three months earlier, if Sasha Gupta makes that move. You if know he what doesn't, I mean? He's a fool. He's a flat out fool. Because I will tell you, that was anybody. Anybody who would balk at that deal saying, well, you never know if Jared Culver will develop. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This guy, take that guy out of the job. And, and again, we, we don't know the, we don't know. Who, the shenanigans, pre, the pre shenanigans of whether or not Bev was always never going to stay in Memphis. You mean? You know that I was going to more so say, we don't really know who Sasha Kupta is as an executive. Exactly. We haven't seen, we just literally haven't seen him make moves. And and I think there's a what we can connect it to is Philly in the process, right? And and I think, you know, this is, is probably a, a leap, but like the Philly and what I think Sam Hinkie and Sasha Kupta when they were in Philly, what they would have done there is they would have looked at the roster coming into the season and they would have seen the just the holes that were in it. And I don't think it's a situation where they go and get a veteran player like Patrick Beverly not because that wasn't in a vacuum a good trade. It's just, okay, now you're taking on $14 million for a 33-year-old. Like, could we just get by at $2 million with J-Mac? Like, there's a... I, I just do. I, I think that's what the, the Sixers' philosophy would have been there. Now, there's some... There's obviously differences when you have Cat and D'Lo older in the line than the Sixers ever w were. But it's a... I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty fascinating, like, revisionist history because... Again, I don't know, but my guess right. is it wouldn't have been as no-brainer of a move for Gupta to make as it was for Rosas to make. And it's I, I just say this because to your I agree with you. It's something that has really defined this season is is just having Patrick Beverly on this team, what he brought in training camp, what he's brought as a player, and even what he's bringing now as a leader when he's injured. Right. Um the more you talk, the more I started to agree with you. I was going to say I respectfully disagree with you about halfway through your answer, <laughs> but I, I, I do 
I'm just talking out loud. I, I don't, you know, I no, don't. No, 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 don't no, no. And, and I don't think you're necessarily wrong about a lot of what you said, especially the last, you know, two, two minutes or so. Um, what I will say is I think the, the process, Hinky, to the extent Gupta was involved, Gupta, you don't stay in the middle. And if you don't make a move with Cat and D'Lo on the roster, then you're in the middle. I think they would have dumped Cat and D'Lo for whatever, built around Ant and Jay Ma- uh, and McDaniels right away, or they would go out and get somebody like a Pat Beverly and try to, you know, try to put some a steel in the, you know, the internal spine of this team uh, because that's what was missing. What was missing was a veteran leader who provides fiber and uh, who provides leadership. I mean, he was just the perfect guy out of central casting provided that you could, I mean, there was the risk that there was going to be too much too soon that Pat Bev was going to become somebody who, um, uh, as he is on the court, he's great until it's like one step over the line. And then everybody goes, Oh, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, this guy's heading for a 10 game suspension here. Uh, And so that's what you'd have to worry about in the locker room. If, you know, if a guy, I guess I'm just saying like, and we talked about this over the course of the summer is I don't, I don't think it would have been an indefensible strategy to just go all in on Ant and McDaniels. I, I think right. I looked at both of them as legitimate paths, but I definitely looked at that as a legitimate path. And it's just it was it, it and it it it, it was uh, more than now, but it still is to some extent. There are people who think you should right. just take Ant. I mean, certainly uh, Delo's value. Has never been higher than it is right now, and Cat has got a very high value already. Um, if you wanted to uh, be a step ahead of the Houston OKC curve by having two, you know, second-year players already in the fold, um, you know, right. and 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 getting a pass of picks and 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 you know players, but uh, it's an interesting thought experiment. I have to believe that anybody who saw Pat Bev out there for two guys who were right. treading, you know, drowning, forget treading water on this roster. Um, and, you know, yeah, no brainer in that vacuum. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a no brainer vacuum. All right, let's take uh let's take one more break here. And then I want to get into kind of the, I guess a little bit more into the weeds of these additional guys that have started to play in the absence of, of Patrick Beverly and a couple other injured guys. One more break here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back with Britt Robson. Uh, final segment here uh, for our conversation on the Wolves all of a sudden <laughs> being being good again. And I, I think last night, Britt, you know, the, well, it just was the story of the game as as we're coming into the night. Like, no Vanderbilt, no McDaniels. Obviously, Beverly missed his third straight game and kind of like, all right, like, what what are they going to do? <laughs> Is it Nathan Knight time? Right. You know, is it? Right, right, and, right. And it it wasn't Nathan Knight time, and he was he was demonstrably because upset about it wasn't that. Miles Turner time, which That's I it. think was the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I do as well. It I guess what what I'm kind of getting at, or what I reflected on after the game last night was was this idea that the Wolves have been able to go into their bench when they've needed to, or just Finch has decided to. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, Torian Prince is getting DMPs, right? And now you, you grab him, and it's like, okay, eighth man, like that works. You last night we talked about a Kogi a little bit. That was that was huge. He was getting DMPs uh, after he came back from injury. And then you know the the most recent one, and the fan base is all excited about is Leandro Balmoral, and and him, you know, he was kind of like a buried on the end of the bench guy, and all of a sudden, you know, these last two games, he's been the first sub into the game, kind of de facto taking maybe it was the old Patrick Beverly role when Beverly was coming off the bench. And I just don't remember the last time when a Wolves player or two went down. You're like, okay, next man up. Like next man up is, has never right. worked with this team. Yeah. And, and, and it is. So what, it, I guess a Kogi's you love a Kogi. <laughs> uh, what, what have you seen? What, what have you, what have you seen from, from him and Torian Prince? And then also just uh Bomaro. And, and what he's given us these first two games. Well, I think one of the differences between when you're talking role players as opposed to stars, you want your role players to give you consistent value in some area of the game. And uh, that's what we haven't gotten from Prince nor Balmero so far. Now, Balmero, incredibly small sample size. Prince, only a little bit more of a sample size. But neither one of those guys have the capability of you can plug them in and say, they're going to be good on this regardless. That's what Okogi does have. Mm-hmm. Now, Okogi has a big fat, big fat negative when it comes to, you know, yeah, you can always look like you're the smart player on offense by dishing to a wide open Okogi in the corner. But unless he facilitates the play with an up fake and dribbles to get the ball to somebody else. It's not a good play Mm -hmm. because Okogi will more likely than not miss that. But what Okogi does do reliably is get after your guy. Uh, The whole nonstop moniker to some extent still works. It's a little less nonstop than Vando because it's a little bit more thought out now, 
But without Okogi on Brogdon last night, they didn't have anybody else. Everybody no. else they everybody else they put on Brogdon. Brogdon just roasted them. I mean, you know, it didn't matter. Balmero, what uh, you know, received his comeuppance after a really nice game against Philly, where he was going against Maxi and Curry, guys that are not super quick and not nearly as smart as Brogdon in terms of putting you in a you know in the torture chamber. Um, and so Balmero, uh, the rose, the bloom came off the rose a little bit because he did have a really, I thought a really encouraging game in Philly because he, he was defending on the perimeter pretty pretty well. I think, I think with, with with Finch, it's just, it's just interesting to me with Finch where I think there's been like numerous times where these propositions for change have come up. And I think you can make a case like, you know, you can make the case to to go with McLaughlin instead of Omaro or, you know, Prince, Akogi, whatever it might right. be. And and Finch has kind of always taken the path less traveled. You, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where where you're like, oh, okay. I, I it, it it's just a little bit more belief. It's a little bit more audacious. And for certainly I thought that with the Bomaro play where not that McLaughlin had been had been playing well at all himself, but you'd at least a more conservative coach would go, you know, I've seen Jordan McLaughlin have success before. We're going to go with the guy who's who's had more success before. But instead, I think you go with Finch goes with the bolder move. It's a big game against Philadelphia. He plays Bomaro almost 20 minutes, even right. a couple longer stretches. And and it all just kind of ties into this, that audacious ethos of of Chris Finch. And and whether you want to talk about it on offense of a belief in the getting out of the way. And as you were talking about, just kind of letting the players work. I think the defensive scheme, while I agreed with it, what I, the word I used to describe it at the beginning of the year was this is audacious. Like there's there, you know, it's a, it's a bold move and they only continue to lean into it further and further and get more and more aggressive. And it's just kind of a cool thing uh, with, with, with Chris Finch. Not that I've agreed with it at every turn, but the proof's kind of in the pudding, right? Where, where you're like, okay, most of your bets here, have been, you know, have been bold, but also pretty effective, even the ones on the margins. What I think about Finch is that he listens to the people around him, but what they tell him isn't necessarily what he's going to decide in the next five minutes, but he he, he files it. I mean, I think a Micah Nori or a Sasha Gupta they may say, hey, you know, Balmero would be really good. You know, maybe Nori has some analytics on it. Maybe Sashin has some things he's thinking about. Um, or, you know, all of a sudden, hey, you know, in this particular instance, Maxi and Curry are both short guys. Uh, they, re- you know, they rely on other players to get them involved. Uh, and when they're involving their teammates, a taller guy is really going to bother them or something like that. Right. Um, and so I think that Finch will think to himself, I remember when Nori was telling me last week about how this could work, you know, and this would work right. You know, I mean, Jalen Noel, he just picked out of nowhere and then didn't play him in the second half. as I think I remember last yeah. night, Noel got like six minutes in the second quarter Um and Finch likes what he sees out of Jalen Noel in garbage time. Noel had some really good garbage time in Charlotte again, I think it was, or whatever. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's hustling, he's doing things. 
it's similar to what happened in the preseason game where, you know, he had some great garbage time and Finch, you know, began to put him in the rotation very briefly. Um, I think it's his way of keeping people connected. And I also think that practices mean something to him. Uh, it's a way of getting people involved. Um, he has got great instincts. I think that's pretty apparent because um, it just takes him a little bit of time to find them. It, I think what we're, what, cause, cause like some of the things like 11 man rotation, nah, that wasn't exactly a great idea at the beginning, but, but he kind but he kept of kept everybody involved, which, yeah. which gets, which gets back to the, I mean, that's what's happening now. Um, but, but, you know, I'll let you continue. No, no, I, it's just, I, I just, it's mostly that it's, it's been, it's been intriguing to, to watch it sort of play out. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't know exactly where, where these things come from, but it, it again, it, I think it kind of just comes from that ethos that is Chris Finch of like, yeah, we're gonna, he, you know, he, he just, he talks in these terms of like flow and, and the vibe and all this and that. And, and they're not, what, what I like about him, he's, he's totally an analytics guy. Like, you know, particularly when we're at shoot around and stuff, we'll talk with him. He'll talk about percentages and this and that, but it's, it's really a good, uh, I think convergence of, of feel and logic is, is, is what he seems to do. Before the game last night in his pregame presser, he said that Indiana was fifth in the NBA in offensive rebounding when they won and like 26th or something in offensive rebounding when they lost. I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, you're going, you know, you're plumbing there, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting into the numbers. Um, what I would say in terms of the non-analytic stuff, I think his biography is really revealing there. I mean, he was, you know, your classic white point guard, scrapper, talker, locker room guy, you know, there's, you, you've seen the prototype a lot of times at the high school level of just some guy who's probably not the most talented player on your team, but one of the most important players on your team because he knows how to regulate teammates. He knows how to say the right thing at the right time. He always backs up what he says with things he does. And then he's not good enough, you know, in terms of his ability. And may, yeah, Franklin Marshall, fine, you know, that level of college. But he goes and coaches places where, you know, nobody is around in England. And then he goes, you know, down to the Rio Grande, you know, like a five minute car ride into Mexico and hangs out with Rosas and wins a, you know, G League ring and stuff. I mean, these things and then goes to all these NBA teams. If you notice every single NBA team that Finch has revisited, the media is just a love them. You know, totally. and 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 he's just a guy. I mean, we see it in the in the casual in between times when he's not on, you know, with us. He's just hanging out chatting, you know, where he he'll, you know, he'll do the repartee thing with you. And um you could tell he was beginning to get a little uptight during that eight-game stretch where they were getting waxed. And now it's like you know, uh, D'Lo calms me down. I'm too antic for, you know, I mean, you know, it's like all these things where he can afford to, you know, 
throw out some flowers to different people and say, hey, you know, it isn't all me. I'm, I'm, I'm this raging bull on the sidelines and other guys is settling me down. Dio couldn't ask. I mean, you put it this way. You couldn't provide a better compliment to the ego and sensibility of D'Angelo Russell than to say he's the guy as the head coach of this team who calms me down. Right. I mean, that's just, uh, that's so much, that's such sweet music to D'Lo's ears. And D'Lo will run through a wall for this guy. And and think about that for a second. I mean, you know, D'Lo has not been known as a guy who was kind to coaches or to cultures. And uh, the turnaround there has been pretty phenomenal. And you got to give Finch a lot of credit for that. And D'Lo, of course, himself. Um, and You know what, Brent, then, like, what I thought about in in the off season is, you know, Chris Finch's like star was really high. You know, you you would say all the time that the two people in the organization that just have gold Ant stars right now are Ant and Finch, right? And I remember at that time it was it was like kind of around summer league and you know, just kind of talking to people around there and the name that people would bring up a lot as a a comp, obviously an aspirational comp for Finch was Nick Nurse. They have similar biographies to right. to your point and. I remember just wondering out loud at the time, and I really didn't know the answer was like, okay, you know, Nick Nurse, best coach and top five coach in the league. What if actual Nick Nurse came and coached the Timberwolves? Like how much of an impact would that have? And I, I didn't, I didn't know the answer. And people, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe it makes like a, a couple win difference. But what I think I'm kind of learning over time is you, you can't exactly quantify this stuff, right? Where it is all, it is the D'Lo thing you bring up. It's it's the change in the, in the scheme. It, it it's it's all these things where I I don't know how much if you put Greg Popovich in to coach this team or Spolster what like what would what it would all be. It's hard to quantify, but it is. I'm learning how defining a coach is, and I think that's because in my experience, you know, the only other two coaches. I've covered have been Tom Thibodeau and Ryan Saunders, which were both just so unique in their own right. And Tibbs and who he was and the way he did things, it was, I guess it was so crystal clear to find. And then with Ryan, um, it was just very like ambiguous who he even was and how much autonomy he even had. Like I, I wouldn't say Ryan, obviously Ryan's tenure wasn't a, a, a great success, but I don't even Ryan was here for like three years, like parts of three years. Right, right. And it was hard to even like pin down who he was. What was his biography, right? Right. Because Rosa's just had so much control over what they were doing. And it's it just, I guess it's my way of saying, you know, these 20 games into the year, it's been cool to to see who Finch is and understand that there is for sure an impact in, in who, who the coach is as a person, even if we can't exactly quantify what that means in terms of wins and losses well and it's like to to be blunt tibbs was too narrow-minded for this franchise and ryan was too callow for this franchise i mean they just weren't good fits for the what was happening at the time losing rosas before the beginning of the season and i wrote about this in one of the columns um was a, a quiet boon to chris finch nobody is thinking, I wonder what Sasha Gupta is thinking about this current thing. I wonder what the assistant coaches are thinking about this current thing. Or I wonder if um, 
Pat Beverly is getting through to, uh, you know, uh, Jordan McLaughlin about how to do something. <laughs> These were the kinds of things we just naturally thought, or like David Vanterpool. What's there's no equivalent to David Vanterpool on this year's team. You know, you're not, you're not Pablo Prigioni. You're not saying, man, Pablo Prigioni is really putting together some interesting things right now. Um, this is Finch and he has subsumed the other supposed catalysts and decision makers in the room. And I can only assume because of the way everybody around him is still incredibly supportive of him that he takes their input and he right. modifies. That's why he has and that to. Was kind yeah. of, that, that's the kind of the basis of what I was saying before about how I think people see what they tell him manifested in what he does they just may not see it immediately but they know that he's listening to them by what he winds up doing and i think that's again the mark of a guy who is a natural leader and also a damn good coach yeah it's yeah man it's it's been it's been encouraging and and as always you know or as delo says you know never too high never too low yeah. uh currently in the midst of a too high maybe but uh but it's it is just a it's a fun adjustment I think for fans I think it's a fun adjustment for the players and Cat's having uh, is enjoying this as much as he's enjoyed anything in right. in his career and and you know what's what's going to happen is they're going to lose again you know they're going to they're going to have a have another rough patch but I I think with this team now I feel more confident in their for all the reasons we've been talking about here for an hour their ability to kind of like grab the rope and not let those 13 game losing streaks that have come to define this team happen or or even or even i just have more confidence in not the what was it you said eight of nine losses in in eight losses in nine games there's a little bit more of a floor i guess to this team and and a an expected boundary that they're that they're going to exist in and and there's also room for upside as we, we we harped on the cat stuff of the like there's still things here that this team isn't doing that well which right. which is what was the optimism especially right right so it's it's just going to be something that's uh that's going to be i think enjoyable for us to track as, as we as we continue to cover this team for the rest of the year you got any parting thoughts uh just that i really do think that um the Odds of making the playoffs has changed not only because the Wolves are better, but because the conference is really bottom bad. Yeah. I mean, um, and you cited this the last time we were on, but it, it's just becoming really clear that if you could be a 500 team or flirting with like 470 as your winning percentage, you'll get the play in game anyway. And you may even get to be on the right side of the playing game. Um, if that's something that, you know, there have been seasons. In fact, the Wolves had a season one time where they were over 500 and didn't make the playoffs uh, in a Western conference that was incredibly deep. And they happened to be playing uh, near 500 ball and now over 500 ball at a time when the conference is bifurcated to the point where, they can be realistic about thinking about the postseason. Now, this is the Timberwolves, and you know we we do want to put all the caveats in place. But 
you know, my original gap of 35 to 41, I'm going to stay with just because I think a lot more needs to be seen before you want to ratchet that up with. But even 35 to 41 now is a better chance of postseason play than not, you know? Yeah. And what will the adversity be? What will the adversity be? Right now, the adversity has been injuries, but they've they haven't been to to the top players. What's it going to be like if Cap misses ten games? You know, D'Lo, Ant, whatever, whatever it may be, a tougher schedule. And so, I'm pleased with the way they've come to define themselves over the past two weeks, and just in general in these first 21 games. But 61 to go. I mean, we got to do this three more times. So, so how are you gonna how are you gonna continue to define yourself? And that's going to define the season. And and whether or not they are a playoff team. And then that will come to define what the future of this franchise is and how Gupta and crew decides to, to build it out. And we are now a full quarter of the way through the 21-22 season. Yep. And so the sample size, while not definitive, I think is emerging um, as something that... Uh, Certainly you can run trend lines and you can run Mm. suppositions on those trend lines that while not certain, you're not, you know, you're not whistling in the dark numbers wise anymore. So, you know, uh, it's nothing but good news right now. I mean, Wolves fans, what I will just say is embrace it and, and have a team know that you have a team that as Finch continually points out, if you play defense you have a shot and they don't win it at most. They win one of the three wins they've had thus far uh, last year's team. Most of the other previous Wolves teams that didn't have KG on it. Um, you don't win more than one game in that Miami, Philadelphia, Indiana triumvirate uh, for various reasons. Indiana was injuries, Miami. It was just the bam, you know, factor, uh, and and Philly, of course, you know, it just that Embiid is just a torture chamber for cats. So you gotta you gotta dig it. You take it while you can. All right. Well, Brett, I uh, I look forward to reading your piece on D'Angelo Russell tomorrow. All you listeners, you can check that out at uh, at Min Post. All of all of Brett's work, Brett. I appreciate you making this this Tuesday thing sort of a tradition for us this season and a good rhythm with it. Hopefully our technical difficulties weren't too bad there in the first segment, but uh, but I think we survived it. Uh, knock on wood, and I will. I'll see you on Monday for the Atlantic game. You got it. All right. Uh, until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around.